Oh, so nobody used that. You what? Yeah. What is the... Heidi, how much of the story of the Parsha are you familiar? Do you read it or do you know it from from back in school or do you read a little bit? You don't remember? No. You don't really know the story. You know, when we come here, you read a little bit of the story, but you don't know the story beforehand. I'll start. Like, do you know, like, do you know, for example, no, no, it's not just... No, I want to. I just want to know. And it's amazing that actually I'm seeing a lot of people who started, they have an interest, and then they learn, and they have yeah. questions, and they look for answers, mm-hmm. and it's just, uh, it's very uh, stimulating to, you know, to try to figure things out. One thing about the Torah, we learned the portion of a Yishlach. I wonder if people don't know that there's a class today. If we do the, the when you do the portion of a Yishlach, you know, uh, today, um, one, one, one thing is, by at least by today's standard, a lot of the things that are taking place in the Parsha, Seem to be, um, you know, questionable. We don't, we don't really understand it. This is actually one of the interesting things about the Torah. You know, other like history books or uh, stuff you study, they always try to twist the history so that it, everything looks like beautiful and nice. <laughs> you know, you put in a good picture of everything. But in the Torah, you know, when you read the Torah, you know, not everything looks good. You know, mm-hmm. things don't look. Look always good, but also the the level of justice and and um, what takes place is 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 somewhat by our standard today would be questionable. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing is, a lot of times it's important to remember that things look twisted. You have to look beyond the surface. You can't just uh, look at things at the first glance. You know, sometimes the story, you know, the way you read it, the way they present it to you. You know, seems to have be problematic, but then you have to try to figure out and really make sense of what happened over here, and then sometimes you can actually see that it's actually the the reverse than your first uh, thought came up. Especially when you're trying to, we're trying to figure out the story of the Chumash, and we only have that many facts in front of us. It's kind of hard to know exactly all the details. So people have different suggestions for the different things. So that's how. All right, so what's the story today? So th- th- this is the story, just so... Uh, here you have this uh, young woman. Uh, her name was Dina. Now, she was one girl amongst all the boys, at least from what we know. So there is some other commentaries that there were other girls there, but the, the Torah doesn't talk about any other girls. doesn't talk about it. The Torah talks about 12 boys, but it was actually, at this point, 11 boys. And this was by um, when Yaakov, Jacob, was working in his uncle's house with, with, with Laban. Well, last week we talked about the marriage, and there was the two wives, and, the, the, and then there was the four wives, and then he had all the tribes. Um, so from that there was 11 boys, and there was only one girl. So the girl's name was Dina. That was her name. And this Dina... Uh, got into trouble. What does it mean? So the, the verse begins in the chapter 34, verse 1. It begins that she went out, and she went out to look at the other girls in the in the community. Now, what was she doing looking out in, with the girls of the community? Was that something positive? Was that something negative? I mean, what was she doing going out? You know, in uh, Chabad... We also go out. What does it mean we go out? 
we go out, we call it a shlichus. We go out to find other people, other Jewish people, and try to raise their interest in Yiddishkeit. So we go out and we try to find people. So here it says Dina went out. And she went out to look and see what the other girls are doing. Also, uh, presumably, as, as, as the Rebbe brings down, uh, she went to look and see, you know, how the other girls dress or how they behave, what they do. That's what one would think at the first glance, what she was doing. Because she was the only girl in the family. So she went out to look. And, but then the verse says that the son, his name was Shechem. Uh, today it's called, they call the name of the city, is called Shechem, it's Jenin today in Israel. There's a lot of trouble over there in Shechem, always. The Rosh says there's always trouble in Shechem. So the Torah tells that the Shechem, he was the prince, he was the son of the uh, leader over there, he was the son, and um, he, he took her, he forced her against his will, he basically raped her. And then um, he wanted to marry her. He liked, he liked her. He liked uh, Dina. And he tried to convince her. He told her all kinds of things that, you know, she'd be rich and that she'd be uh, famous and, you know, everything. And uh, he goes to his father. He says, his father, I, wanna, I want you to get me this, this woman for a wife. And Yaakov, her father, heard about it, what he has done, that he's violated his daughter. But his sons were not home at the time, because they were out with the, shepherding the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the field. They were out, they were away. So Yaakov didn't say anything until they came back. So now... Um, Hamur, which is the father of Shechem, that's the father of the boy, uh, he comes to talk to Yaakov, and he says to him, um, you know, let's make a shidduch, let's do a marriage here. So the sons of Yaakov, when they came from the field and they heard what took place, uh, that this was a terrible disgrace that was done to their sister, um, uh, you know, in such a in such a way, uh, uh, so they devised the plan. So he, the father of Shechem, Shechemur, says, "You know, my son desires your daughter. If you give it to me for a wife, we will sort of become one people. You will become intermarried with us. You're." Daughters you'll give to us. Our daughters you will take for yourself. And you'll live with us. Our land will be yours because they were strangers over there. It'll be before you. Sit here. You will do business and you will take hold of the land. So this is making up a proposition. Eshchem, now the son is speaking. And Shechem says to the father and to her brothers, now the brothers are there, so he's saying, he says, let me find favor in your eyes. Whatever you tell me, I will do, he says. Ask for a lot of dowry, ask for a lot of money. Whatever you ask me, as long as give me this girl as a wife. 
So now the sons of Shechem, the sons of Yaakov, they devised the plan. They answered him with deception. And they spoke to them because, and the verse sort of says, because they defiled their sister, their sister Dina. So they said to them, we cannot do this that you're asking from us to give you our sister uh, because you are not circumcised. That's a terrible indignation for us to, uh, to give her to a man who is not circumcised. But however, we will agree if you become like us, that you will circumcise all your males. Then uh, we will give you our daughters and we will take your daughters, we'll sit with you, and we'll become one people. But if you don't listen to us to circumcise, we'll take our daughter and we'll go. So, but they spoke fine favor in the eyes of the boy and his father, Hamer and Shechem, and he didn't delay. He didn't right away because he really wanted Yaakov's daughter and he was very respected of all the people in the family so now they're coming and presenting their case to the people of the city they come to the gate of the city to the entrance and they speak to the city and they, to the city people and they tell them look we have these people who are willing they're at peace with us they want to settle the land they want to do business over here and there's plenty of place, it's a big land, there's plenty of space for other people. Their daughters will take for us as wives, our daughters will give to them. However, the only condition that they want to sit with us that we become one people is that our males will circumcise, just as they are circumcised. Their cattle and everything they own, all their animals will be ours because they'll be right here. Let us just agree to their condition. Let them stay with us. So they listened. The people of they listened. The people they listened. They listened to Hamer and Shechem, those the father and the son, all the people of the city, and all the males circumcised themselves. And they did it right away. They didn't delay. They all circumcised themselves. So now it comes on the third day while they were really hurting because the wound is more, uh, the sickness is more on the third day, and the final day is the more, the way to do. The two sons of Yaakov took their swords, and they came securely on the city. Now, because these people were all in pain, and they were all under operation, so they kill all the males. And Chamoir and his son Shechem, they killed by the sword, and they took their sister Dina from the home of Shechem, and they left. And now the son of Yaakov, they come over the dead, and they took all the spoil because they defiled their sister, their sheep, their cattle, their donkeys, and everything that was in the city and the field they took. And all of their fortune, all the little children, their wives, they put in captivity, and they took their spoil, and everything that was in their homes. That's what they did. So then Yaakov says to Shimon and Levi, 
those were the two sons. The Torah doesn't mention them by name before. The Torah just says, it actually does say that. So it was Shimon and Levi. The Torah says before. So they were two of the brothers, uh, Shimon and Levi. They were the ones that did it. They did it. So Yaakov says to Shimon and Levi, he says to them, you've uh, sort of spoiled it for me. He says, you spoiled it for me, or you made it murky for me. Uh, because you have uh, defamed me, or he uses lahavisheni um, um uh, so he says, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, troubled creating hostility between me and the inhabitants of the land. He says, you're creating trouble over here in the Canaanite, the Prezite, and I'm just few in numbers. They're all going to gather around me. They'll smite me and they'll destroy me and my family. So they responded, should we allow for our sister to become like a harlot? He says, okay. And that's the end of this story over here. So that's the story, one, one portion of the Parsha. Now, there is a lot of issues over here uh, that really need clarification. Um, and one thing is, um, did they actually... Why would the city, all city, be killed? Let's say that Shechem violated Dina and he deserved to be killed, but why would all the other males of the city have to be killed? So that's a question that people would have as soon as you read the story. You say, but okay, what are the other people? They don't seem to do anything. Why are they going and killing the whole city of Shechem? And so one suggestion is that because none of the people went and took a stand. Because by the Noachite law, it was also, there should be a court system, there should be justice system. And when people commit a crime, they need to be punished for their crime. And if there is no such a thing as a judicial system, then everybody's guilty, because that leads to... uh, lawlessness and everybody does whatever they want so apparently the fact that Shechem can get away and do as he wants without being judged without being penalized Mm -hmm. is a problem for the whole city so all the city is really essentially guilty and therefore maybe they deserve all to die Mm -hmm. but then the question becomes okay if it was justified so why was uh, Yaakov complaining about what they did Uh, Yaakov seems to say that I'm fewer numbers, they're going to come and destroy me. Um, Was he happy? Some commentaries say, well, after they circumcised, they sort of changed their religion, they became Jewish, because the circumcision made them into a Jewish people. So now they're no longer guilty for their previous crimes that they did while before they were Jewish. So it's like a new, it's a new stage in their lives, but uh, that's a little bit, you know, that's a little bit uh, stretching it. Um, but in the verse over here, 
in the discussion between uh, Yaakov and his sons, it seems like the last word goes to the sons because Yaakov says, uh, "What'd you do it? You know, you 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 caused me you caused me a lot of trouble." And what was their answers? Should we make our sister like a harlot? And that was it. And so it doesn't seem like Yaakov, it almost looks like Yaakov accepted it, accepted their argument. You know, he says, okay, in that case, you know, you know, I accept it. But the, the other thing is, what the Rebbe brings down is from what Rashi discusses in a later, in, a, in, another, uh, in another story in the Parsha. And that talks about when. Um, that talks about when, um, at the end of his life, Yaakov was giving blessings to his sons. He was telling them, but actually, when he talked to Shimon and Levi, he actually rebuked them instead of giving them blessings. Oh. And he says to them, he brings up this story. Instead of giving them blessing, he brings up the story. He says, you know, you have used your um, tools that don't belong to you, you use a sword, that's not a Jewish way, we don't do like that, or it's not the way. And um, when you read this superficially, it almost seems like Yaakov objected to what they did. And, and this whole discussion, but just to make this short briefly, um, the Rebbe, the Rebbe interprets it like this. The Rebbe says that um, the method, the question here was the methodology, the method that Yaakov's sons did. That was the problem here. It wasn't so much a problem that they killed those people, but it was the deception that they killed them with. Because they told them, we'll be one people. And then they go, and they kill them when they're weak. That's something which... Is, uh, is difficult for, for Yaakov. Now, uh, one can argue they needed to deceive them because how would they, how would they uh, able to kill the whole city if they wouldn't deceive them? Well, that's the only way they knew. So the answer is there's two possibilities. Because one, they could have, um, they could have, um, they were strong. Shimon and were strong. They needed to, um, um, maybe rely on God, you know, I mean, if it's the right thing, then it's going to happen, you know, regardless. Uh, so, um, maybe Yaakov was Main's objection was uh, that they didn't have to use deceptive tactics in order. Either, if it can't be done, Yaakov's position was without deceptions, then maybe we're not supposed to do so. We're not supposed to do it. Or, if we're going to do it, then we don't have to use deception. We just go ahead and do it without deception. Because this, doing it in this, under these kind of conditions, causes a bad you know, image for, for Yaakov and his sons to use deceptions and, 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 and to do this. And um, um, Rabbi goes on in a whole long explanation about various different parts of it. Uh, we find ourselves, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes people do things, even though they're justified, but it's not an expression of what they, um, they're doing it for the purpose, but it's just an expression of their, 
maybe their nature, which needs some some improvement, you know, needs some refinement. Like sometimes you'll feel, you'll see people uh, maybe yelling at somebody for doing something wrong, right? So maybe the person that does something wrong deserves a yelling, maybe. Maybe they deserve, you know, they deserve a yelling. But sometimes the person that is yelling isn't doing it because the other one deserves the yelling. He's doing it because just they enjoy the yell people. So it's not like the person who's being yelled at because of he deserves it. Uh, yeah, maybe he deserves it too. It seemed like by the sons of Yaakov, uh, in Yaakov's estimation, the reason that they went out very quickly became because of a something uh, of a flaw in character. So, in other words, while maybe they were justified, they had a good reason to do so. But that wasn't, it wasn't the reason that motivated them so much, but rather it was their own um, lack of, in, in Yaakov's estimate, it was, Shimon and Levi argued that they were so angry that they couldn't act rationally. It wasn't a rational decision to rely on Hashem or not to use deceptive tactics. They needed, they wanted to get back, they wanted a revenge. So they didn't use regular logic. It was something that actually pushed them to do something out of the ordinary. And that's what uh, that's what they um, that's what they did. And um, say also just mentioned this also that you know sometimes there is in the positive also. We do sometimes out of the ordinary. We do more than we have to do. Um, maybe if we s- calculated things on a reasonable, rational way, maybe we shouldn't do it. I'm talking about specifically, you know, this boy Ezra Schwartz. Uh, maybe on a rational way, um, shouldn't choose to go to Israel, maybe wants to go to another yeshiva locally, or, you know, didn't have to go to Israel. Maybe being in Israel, he could have said rationally, I'm not going to go into the uh, Gush Etzion, I'm not going to go into into the danger zone, I'm going to just, you know, be in the uh, vicinity and the common safety of his place. But sometimes the person's irrational, his essence love of the Torah, love of the Jewish people, love of Israel, love to help do the chesed, does something irrational. Not, it's not coming because of a thought-through way that he wants to do that, that he's not uh, sort of protected. I mean, because in Israel is actually, as the Rebbe said many times, it's the safest place. Mm-hmm. But for a young kid to go ahead and believe that, it wasn't a rational decision to go there. It was something which came from the inside. Mm-hmm. It's beyond, beyond nature. So, sometimes these people that are so close in their souls for reasons unknown to God, Shem allowed this to happen, something like that. You know, and, um, but he did make a tremendous uh, impact on the Jewish community, which will be lasting for, for many, many, yeah. many years. Uh, he could never have made that impact as a regular... No. 18-year-old boy in the yeshiva, he would never touch and impact. With his 
death with his Kiddush Hashem being a, a, a sacrifice for the Jewish people, uh, he sort of raised the awareness to such an unbelievable level that would never have been possible. So I wanted to just mention that his name should be for, I uh, wanted to dedicate today's class in his memory because of uh, what he did is for all of us. And um, Hashem should avenge his blood, Hashem Yukandomo, and should bind him in the bind of life together with all the tzaddikim.